Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. Of course, this group is building faith together. Our lesson one was together. Lesson two was individuals. Lesson three was human nature versus God nature. And then this is our fourth one, and it's called um, the fruit of the spirit, fruit of the flesh. And um, we talked last time a lot, but I don't think it can be reiterated enough that God is a three-part being and we're made in his image. And um, we talked about it in Genesis 1-1 that even that word Elohim in Hebrew is a plural word, that it literally is a plural word of more than one. And that that stands for God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So he's a three-part being and he says... I've made man in my image, male and female. I've made them, and we are a three-part being. We live in a body. That's kind of like our earth suit. And we have a soul, which is made up. It's basically your personality, but it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. So if you think about your soul, your soul is, I think, I want, I feel. That's your soul. And then we have a spirit, the Holy Spirit. And a believer is supposed to be what is stronger in us and what we're supposed to be living out of and walking in instead of our soul. But I don't see or hear that taught ever. Um, I'm amazed and astonished because without that, I think that there would be an absolute zero chance of not being a frustrated Christian, absolutely frustrated. Because if you don't know how to live out of your spirit and no one's even told you that you're not supposed to live out of your soul, then you're just always trying, 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 trying. And it's just, it's a life of futility instead of really seeing what God says about, you know, how we can walk in the spirit. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Because most of us are taught and are still taught, you know, well, what do you think? Well, how do you feel about that? Well, what do you want? And that's all your soul. What do you think? What do you feel? What do you want? Instead of what does God say about that? What does he say? And then it's so important for us to know what he does say. And that's why it's so important for us to know the word is so that the Holy Spirit can pull that for us and we don't have to, you know, where, whereas if maybe, you know, this has just been a really hurtful day and, um, but instead of hurting back, um, I can know that, that God says in Romans 12 too, just don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. In other words, you don't have to conform to other people's hurtfulness. And you can, you can forgive. You can let go. You can be different. You can change. But I'm not trying. If I was trying out of my soul, I would be so frustrated. And that's what I'm so excited to share with you all as individuals and as couples because without those tools... I would not have joy or peace or anything. And I would just be constantly trying. And that's the worst place to be. God, I promise one more time that I'm not going to da 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 
Not that we don't all do that, but there's a way for us to change permanently and that he does it. We don't do it. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's a way for him to change us. We talked last, last time about how whatever you feed is what will win. So if you feed your spirit, you feed your spirit the word of God, you feed your spirit... If you're an audio learner, you know, listen to podcasts. Annie mentioned our website. Go to livingjesus.us. Go to kathleenwitten.org. Go to a website that speaks to you and listen to free podcasts. Maybe you're an audio learner and maybe you're always in the car and that's just the best thing for you. I'm an audio learner. Um, if you're not, then get open the word, read your Bible, do that anyway. <laughs> but, um, you know, get meditations in your inbox and it doesn't have to be from our ministry, but it is such a huge big deal. And it's, there are people like us around the world. We received an email yesterday from a, um, a woman. I have no idea how old she is, but just how much the ministry and the messages mean to her. And she's from Latvia. And there's just lots and lots of emails like that, and, and I don't share them. I, I usually just kind of for, forget them and thank God for them. But um, just for us to know, it's just a struggle around the world for people to not only live, but to live the full and abundant life that Jesus said that we could have in John 10.10. 10. He said we could have it. So he said we can have it, then we can have it. And I don't know that many Christians have it. I don't know that we honestly can say, oh, I have life and life abundant. I really do. And, and I have really difficult circumstances, but I have a lot of joy. Not many Christians can honestly say that. And I know that God wants that for us because that's what Jesus said. He says also the reason that he came was to destroy the works of the devil and acts. I mean... So we need to know uh, what are what are the fruits of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And we talked about the fruit of the Spirit last time. And um, I just was going to read this little meditation. This was actually from today. And um, so I guess it's not a poem. Just to listen to it because it's, it has so much to do with what we're talking about. If you're a fruit tree, what would be your fruit? You see, regardless of what fruit you desire to cultivate in your life, peace, for example, your fruit is a result of the seeds you've planted in your heart. If you planted seeds of resentfulness, then bitterness is likely a fruit in your life. On the other hand, if you planted seeds of love and forgiveness in your heart, your life will exhibit the fruit of mercy and grace. As believers, God wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to reflect His character, not the characters. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And if you truly yearn for your life and legacy on this earth to be incomparably excellent fruit of the Spirit then the most important seeds to plant in your heart are the seeds of the word of God. When I life coach, many people tell me that they want the fruit of patience and God is patient and slow to anger and full of mercy and he wants us to be patient so that we'll have a better reflection of his nature and so that we ourselves will have peace. God's word offers us so many seeds of patience. There's so many scriptures about patience. 
And all of those scriptures are seeds that we can plant in our hearts. An excellent seed scripture for patience is planting or internalizing or memorizing God's promise in Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And that is... It's just tremendous. Anything we learn of the word of God, it's just it's it's a seed that grows in us that the Holy Spirit can use to help us, but it's also alive. And patience is also I, I just go on to write in this meditation, patience is often, I would say almost always, the opposite of pride. Wow. Because pride says, I want this now. Waiting involves humility. (laughs) Waiting takes patience. Yet God promises that when we wait on him, he gives us new strength. It's interesting how, you know, you might pray for strength. God, I want my faith to be strengthened. Great. Read Isaiah 40, verse 31. Waiting renews your strength. Oh, but I don't want to wait. (laughs) I want strength now, you know. God's ways are so opposite to our ways. Practicing waiting with your faith in the Lord in your daily lives produces the fruit of patience. Patience is the heart of God, and the world is starved for it. I really feel like the world is starved for the fruit of patience. So I just wanted to share that little meditation because you all kind of inspired that with this Bible study. And I want us to look at... Galatians 5.16, because we talked about um, the fruit of the Spirit, but we didn't talk quite much as much about like walking in the Spirit. We talked about how God wants us to live not out of our body, which is like our flesh, which is like, um, you know, I want to eat this because I want to eat this, or I lust after this or I, because I lust after this, or our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, which is I think I want or feel. And you think about it, that, I mean, that's what the world, that's how, that's how the world lives, is what do I want, what do I desire, what looks good, what do I think, what do I feel, and, you know, that's how they live, and very rarely do you find someone who not unpiously and privately goes back and says, what does God say about this, you know? This person severely wronged me, but what does God say about this? Or I need to forgive this person. What does God say about this? Or I have severe anxiety and fear in my life. What does God say about this? I've laughed so much about how many scriptures that I've memorized concerning fear and that the opposite of fear is love and that God has told us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that he's not given us a spirit of fear but power, love, and a sound mind. He's told us in Romans that he's not given us a spirit of bondage, which leads to get into fear, but a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And, of course, fear involves any kind of anxiety. Sometimes it manifests in anger. And God wants us to make every decision that we make and every thought that we, that we take, he wants it to be out of love and not fear. And people have said, wow, you've just memorized so many scriptures. That's awesome. Why? Because I needed it. I was born fearful. Do you understand? Some people are more anxious than others. 
And it wasn't because I was some holy roller. It's because I knew if I didn't knock fear out of my life, fear was going to knock me out. Because I was always constantly fearful. And so as a young person, I started memorizing scriptures about fear. And um, what did God say about fear? And what is the truth? And when you get the truth, man, Jesus says, you know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You talk about getting set free from anxiety, set free from fear, set free from anger, set free from negativity, set free from um, bitterness, set free from worry. That's free. Because you can be in the most beautiful setting in the world, you know, pretend like we're all just basking on the beach in some beautiful, beautiful setting. And if your heart is full of anxiety or worry or unforgiveness, you are miserable. And yet you can be in a little bitty house in the middle of nowhere on the front porch with a creaky porch swing and your heart is content and you know that God loves you and you know that you're forgiven. And that peace can't be replaced by anything. doesn't matter where you are. It matters where you are on the inside. And where we are on the inside really is whatever we've planted on the inside of ourselves and what has been planted there by others. But we are at an age and stage where it's now time for us to stop looking at others and start saying, I can do what God wants me to do. You know, when I life coach people, I hear so often, well, I was raised like this and like that and like this. And I want to say, you are 50 years old, okay? And that is a hurtful thing that you went through. But just like Jesus said to the man who was, who was crippled and he was laying on a mat for 38 years, do you want to get well? Because some people don't want to get well. They just want to keep blaming. And so ask yourself tonight, do you want to get well? Do I want to get well? Because it will take, you know, really humbling ourselves before God and being super honest and then taking in his word as seeds to change us from the inside out. This is interesting because now we've talked about the spirit, we've talked about the flesh, and I'm sure you've heard some of these scriptures, but they're going to mean a lot more because of understanding that God differentiates the flesh, your body, your your soul, um, your body, and, and, and lustful desires, and, um, uh, you know, whether whatever it might be. And then your soul being your mind, your will, and your emotions. I think I what I feel. And then your spirit. He differentiates that and says, I want you to live out of your spirit. So Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh wants things which are against the spirit, and the spirit wants things which are against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So we read that and we're like, oh, that's just so nice, nice, nice little verse. And God's saying, no, no, no. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want you to walk in the spirit. I thought that was so cool, that word walk in. I looked in the Greek, and it means to make one's way progress. The Hebrew derivative of it means to live for, to conduct oneself, to pass one's life. In other words, 
walk in the spirit. Live this way. Live this way. Practice it. Even in a small, tiny things. Practice it. And it comes from the Greek word pateo, which means path. Which is so cool. That word walk means take God's path. Take his path. So, like tonight, I want to ask you, what, what is your life path? I'll ask me, what is my life path? Do you know that you choose that? And I choose that every millisecond of every day. It's not a one-time decision. It's not a, I went to a camp, and it was really cool, and we were in the mountains, and I became a Christian, and now everything's fine. Uh-uh. You're going to heaven. You've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, you know that. God knows that. That's between you and him. But he tells us to go on and be sanctified, be renewed by the renewing of our minds, which means that we have to become less like us and more like him. The world does not need any more Kathleen's. It does not. It needs a whole lot more Jesus. A whole lot more Jesus. And that's what we want to be to this world. is reflecting the patience of God and the love of God and the peace of God so that people can say, hey, I want that. I want that. Or you are different. What is that? And you can say, well, I'm telling you what, it isn't me. It's definitely God. It's his word. And if it wasn't for him, I would be AWOL. I mean, I would just be gone. Not only, not only that, with his word, I can stray pretty good anyway. I don't know about you, but I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty good at like walking away from all the good stuff. You know, give me 30 seconds and I'm out in the wrong direction. And so it's just so important for us. It's so important. It's life and death. And God says, I've given you a choice. I've given you the path. Choose life that you and your children may live. And so, what is your life path? It starts with our minds. Can you do or say anything first without thinking it? Just think about that. Can you do or say anything first without thinking it? Like if I said, raise your hand. Can you do that with first without thinking it? You have to first think, hand raise. And then your, your hand will be raised. And so in the same way, the seed that's planted, like a jealous seed or a merciful seed or an unforgiving seed or a kind seed, is cultivated and the fruit is the result of that seed. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you put in your mind the seed that is of God and you cultivate it and then you practice it and you feed it like we talked about last week, you feed that. You feed it by actually doing what you know to do is right. And you starve out your flesh. In other words, you know, I want to just, um, this actually isn't part of my nature, but maybe it's part of other people's, um, I want to just blow up and just get so angry and then later apologize, you know. And, And when you start to starve that out and, be kind as as God is kind and patient. Um, it hurts. It's painful, 
But then it becomes easier and easier and easier. And so what this verse is saying and what I'm saying is that whatever thoughts that enter your mind as seeds, they're seeds, whatever you cultivate will grow and manifest in your life. They will manifest in your life. That's why sometimes people think they can get away with being something inside and exhibiting something else outside. But in the end... They're always found out because whatever's cultivated in your heart is manifested in your life eventually. So to walk in the spirit, we have to renew our minds. That's actually, it's the fun part, but it's the hard part, but it's the great part, but it's the difficult part, but it's the differentiating between being a carnal Christian, which means carnal, meaning the flesh, and and. In other words, I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven or whatever, but I'm just going to live like hell. <laughs> or I'm just going to live like I want to live because, you know, I'm saved and I've got my insurance, I'm going to heaven and, and you know, this, this whole world is about me and I'm going to do my deal. Or, you know what, I'm not as bad as so-and-so and they're Christians, so we're going to do the comparison Christian thing, you know, because so-and-so is over there and they're really bad and at least we're better than them. God didn't care about that. You're his child. You are his child. Have you ever looked at your child and say, said, I don't care what any other child is doing. You are my child. I love you. I want the best for you. And that's exactly how God feels about us. That's how he feels about us. And I quoted earlier, Romans 12, 2. It is truly one of my favorite scriptures, not to be conformed to this world. But be transformed, God says, by the renewing of your mind. Again, it's all the seeds that you put in your mind. That you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I wanted to read it in the Amplified Bible and in the Message Bible. Because sometimes just getting a little bit of a twist of interpretation will bring out a different meaning. In the Amplified Bible... It says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. And the Message Bible says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You know, I'm such a word person and I get into words so much, but I love the way that word, have you ever thought about that? Pay attention. That word pay means it's going to cost you something. Whatever you pay attention to costs you something. If you pay attention to God, it's going to cost your time. If you pay attention to the world, it's going to cost your time or your effort. 
but whatever you pay attention to is a sacrifice on your part in some way or another. And yet, why not pay attention to something that's going to help us and behoove us and, and change us and make us better and make us have that peace that surpasses all understanding and changes us from the inside out? I don't know about you, but I just got really tired of trying to change myself. You know? And I, I, I don't know about you, but even to this day, even knowing that every millisecond I choose God's way or my way or God's way or the world's way or God's way or the flesh or God's way or what I think or God's way or what I want or God's way or what I feel. I want that to be easier and easier and easier for me. And it has become easier, not because I'm holy, but because I've renewed my mind with the word of God. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's nothing to do with, oh, well, she's so holy. No, it's she's so not holy that she's gotten on her face just about every day and said, God, if you don't help me, I am toast. That's humility. And God says that he helps the humble and sets himself against the proud. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God of all people, we'll just say that, to set himself against me. But there's a lot of proud Christians around that are like, oh, I can handle this. I can do this. I can, you know. And they don't even know that with humility and admitting to God, you already know everything anyway. I humble myself to you. Lots of times with him, I I even say, forgive me for the sins that I don't even know that I've committed because he's that merciful and I'm that blind. And he's so good. And he does. You know? I, not to mention the big old list that I can think of, you know, <laughs> about every five minutes. And it's not that we are constantly going to God going, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You got to start over. Da, da, da. He's that heavenly father that gets you. He made you. He gets you. Reread Psalm 139. Because God gets you more than you get you. Have you ever just thought, you know, you're trying to explain how you feel to someone, especially your spouse, and, okay, this is me, and this is how I'm just, this is how I'm feeling right now, and you're trying to explain, and then you just kind of realize, I don't even understand myself. I don't even know why I'm trying to expect this person I'm married to to understand me, because I don't even understand myself. God does. God created each one of us with a special purpose in this world, and no one can take your place. And that's why he wants everyone off the bench and in the game. And there's too many Christians on the bench. And not enough Christians in the game. And the Christians that are in the game, learning the word of God and and pursuing what God wants them to do, are exhausted. Because there's so many Christians on the bench. Does that make sense? It's true. So... Here we're going to look at the fruits of the flesh. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to squirm because I squirmed. Galatians 5.19, before it talks about the fruit of the spirit, talks about the fruit of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. And remember, we talked about manifest is when like a seed is planted and you can't see it for a while and then it becomes visible. Obviously, that word manifest. It was interesting, though, because when I looked at the word manifest, it, it means growing vegetation to come to the light, to become evident. 
to be brought forth into the light, to come to view, to appear. If you think about it, when you plant a seed, you don't immediately get a plant. So if I plant a seed of bitterness, I I can hide that for a long time. But at some point, it's going to grow and manifest into the fruit of bitterness. If I plant a seed of forgiveness and the seeds of God's word, it may not manifest in my life right away, especially if I'm just learning to do something. But then if it's cultivated, then at, one, at some point it will come and manifest, be a plant, a fruit of the seed of God, which is love, which is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all of the fruits of the Spirit. So Galatians 5.19 is going to talk to us about the fruits of the flesh. And I want to say this first. None of us are immune, of, immune from this. None of us are innocent of this. Um, there's not anybody in the room that I'm looking at, okay? Um, it's sometimes easier to listen by radio because then I, I've had people say, were you looking at me for a reason? I'm like, absolutely not. I don't mean, God's not a gossip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think the Holy Spirit's told me till son? I mean, really? So I want you to know that. And I want you to know that every bit of conviction that you feel, I'm not talking accusation. Accusation is from Satan, the accuser, and it brings confusion and guilt and absolute just shutdown. But conviction comes from the word, it comes from the Holy Spirit, it comes from the word convince. And it brings clarity. And, okay, I'm convinced that this is true. And you can even have conviction and not know what to do. I've often had conviction about things and said, God, I am convicted. I know in my heart that this is wrong, but I don't know what to do. And he loves that. He loves that. And then he shows us the next step. He doesn't say, well, okay, I'm going to tell you what's, what's up, and then good luck. Figure it out. You know, he tells us the next step. He is the one that is so gentle and so kind and knows you and knows the timing of what you can hear and what you can deal with and how he wants you to deal with it. Why? Because you're his child and he loves you. He wants you to be free. Not because he wants a bunch of holy rollers, but because he loves you and he wants you to have that abundant life. So we're going to look at the fruit of the, of the flesh. The first is adultery and that's intercourse with someone else's spouse. The second is fornication. That's illicit sexual intercourse. Uncleanliness is impure motives, lustful. I have a hard time pronouncing this, but it's lasciviousness. It means excess or unbridled lust. Shamelessness, just turn on the TV for 20 seconds. You can get all of it. You know, we are inundated with it. We are a world inundated with it. Um, idolatry is the worship of false gods. And, you know, some people are like, well, that's not, you know, we don't have a golden calf in our house, so that's not a problem. No, no, no. But you can have people as your idols. Oh, my gosh, what if these people think that I think that they thought that I thought that they thought that 
Who cares? What's your reputation in heaven? Okay? That should be your number one concern. So idolatry can even be other people's opinions. Do you see what I'm saying? Witchcraft, which includes sorcery, horoscope, magical arts, Satanism, cults. And I also included Christian manipulation. Because um, one of my big things is I do not appreciate being emotionally manipulated. I don't like being set up. I like things straight. And I want the straight word of God. And I have spoken in and been in churches and been in Christian atmospheres where I have felt very manipulated. And manipulation in and of itself is a form of witchcraft. And just know that even in a marriage, manipulation without the trueness of being just very honest with one another is a form of witchcraft because you're trying to control that person's circumstances. And so the other word um, that is part of the fruit of the flesh is hatred, which is hostile, opposing one another, enemies, variance, which means strife or contention, emulations, which means envious and contentious, rivalry, jealousy, wrath, which is fearness, indignation, anger, forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. I thought that is really interesting, you know, because some people just have that wrath where they're like, and then they're like, okay. And God's like, hey, that's a fruit of the flesh. And then strife. And I want us to pay major attention to strife because you'll notice I said all these things that you would think, okay, God must have named the worst things first because, you know, those are the things that makes us really squirm. Now, strife, you know, we all fight. Now, adultery, raise your hand if you've committed adultery. Y'all aren't going to raise your hands. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Raise your hand if you've had a little fight in your house lately. Oh, okay, well, yeah. Okay, but do you know what? There is no measurement on this stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is how serious strife is. It means to provoke contention or intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan and fractious spirit which does not disdain low blows. And, and I want you to understand the word was used before the, before the New Testament by Aristotle in his writings about strife, about political motivations and moves. And strife has everything to do with selfishness. It really does. And I, wanna, I want you to hear this scripture about strife because it will change your life. I hope that in a good way it will scare the pajamas out of you. And I hope that you will never forget it. And it is something that Lacey and I are constantly, constantly reminding each other of and contending with. Because we recognize that God's word is true and we recognize that this is a huge danger and slippery slope. In James 3, 14 through 16, it says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every 
evil work. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I do not know of a scripture that says that one thing, basically a spirit of strife, lets in to a household or a person every evil work. We open up horrible and dangerous doors to our children, to our marriage, to ourselves when we stay in strife and contention. And that's why even when Lace and I, and and again, y'all that know us, you know, we do not have a perfect marriage. We are not perfect. Um, Sometimes, I mean, we're just, we're not. I mean, I, I can tell you story after story after story, but when we start to, yeah, don't laugh, Lacey. When we start to get into strife, and we can feel it because you know what? It's when stuff doesn't make sense. It's when all of a sudden you say something and your spouse hears something else and they say something and you hear something else and then you're like, where did that come from? And then you go round and round and then it's almost like, what did the devil just move into the house? But instead of stopping it, we keep going because we know we're right and the other person's wrong besides the last thing they said was rude and then we add on to something else. And well, we've gotten to that point where we will say, stop, we're going to pray right now against the spirit of strife. And command it to leave our house. And we can feel it. We can feel it go. And we do that because we know the dangerousness that we've been warned in the book of James. That strife is the one thing that lets in every evil thing. And it is definitely a fruit of the, fl- of the flesh. Other fruits of the flesh are seditions, which means divisions. Heresies, which are dissensions arising from diversity of opinion and aims in sex, S-E-C-T-S, by the way. If you're wondering where I'm getting these definitions, um, I'm in love with the Greek and the Hebrew. So I was looking up these words in the um, Greek language, the language of the New Testament. And so this is basically what the Greek language says in its full capacity concerning these fruits of the flesh. Envying. Envyings, um, the Greek means to, it means to pine or waste, corrupt, corrupt oneself, be corrupt, defile, destroy, and then of course just the word envy, where you're just envious. Murders, I think we, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But got to the Greek and it said slaughter. I thought, well, that's even more explanatory. Drunkenness, intoxication. Um, now listen, this is what's convicting. It's convicting because we have a society and I'm in it and you're in it and I've done it and you've done it. And it, where things are funny and, and presented as funny that are really fruit of the flesh and that can lead to devastating death. The seeds of the fruit of the flesh lead to death. The seeds of the fruit of spirit lead to life. So I'm not trying to be like hoity-toity, like, you know, never joke about anything. But I'm just saying that God takes it really seriously. Things are said and done when we've had too much to drink. And the word says, don't be filled with alcohol, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But be filled with spirit. In other words, you can't do both. And that is because God loves you. (laughs) 
He loves you. He wants to be your guide. He wants to be there for you. And I could get into that in, in personal um, stories. I mean, after all the back surgeries I had, I, it took me years and years and years to get off of incredibly heavy amounts of narcotics. You know, 75, whatever it was, milligram, microgram, patch, fentanyl, dilated, Percocet, oxycodone, um, oxyfast, um, morphine, um, all, all of this at once. As a matter of fact, my doctor said that I was on more narcotics than in anyone he had ever, ever seen, regardless of, of weight. And he was the orthopedic surgeon general of the Air Force. And I said, well, what about the burn victims in Iraq? And he said, no, they don't even come near. And it was the result of a botched back surgery. But I got off of them, and it took me two and a half years at my house with the Holy Spirit, which is like wishing yourself to have the stomach flu and hallucinations and worse for two and a half years. Because I know that I can't be filled with them and filled with the Spirit. And God said I could have abundant life, and that's what I want. So I'll take the pain with the Holy Spirit instead of the numbness without him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anything is worth giving up. Anything. And God's not saying be all or nothing people. Um, I have people often tell me, you know, well, are you saying I can't ever have a drink? And I'm like, okay, you're asking me personally. Personally in the Bible, it says that they had wine. Personally in the Bible, I read that it says if you have an ailment, drink a little bit of wine. I personally don't have a problem with that. So I don't want us to get religious in this group. That's not what it's about. I'm not going to talk about how short your skirt is or because I like to wear short skirts personally. And um, yeah, not not all Christians appreciate that. But, um, you know, be yourself. But you go with the convictions that the Holy Spirit gives you. And it's again, it's he's your father and he says things and he convinces and convicts you of things because he loves you. And because Jesus died for us to have not only eternal life, but an abundant life on this earth. And do you? Do you? Can you wake up in the morning and be like, wow, I have an abundant life. I mean, regardless of my circumstances, I just am filled with joy. I have peace. You know, very few people can do that. And that is wrong. Because Jesus died for us to be able to do that. And in John 10, 10, he says we can have it. So let's read a little bit more about um, all the bad things. Okay, so revelings. Um, I don't know why this kind of was interesting, but I, I looked this up. Because, you know, some of this is a little bit archaic to us. So we're like, revelings? Like, we're really out reveling? Like, that's not something. But basically, it's like when you're sort of half intoxicated and you're just kind of doing stupid stuff and saying stupid stuff and just not being representative of, of, um, of the Lord. And it, and it talks about, um, debauchery, like excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures and revelings came from like, um, the whole 
Bacchus or the deity, that kind of, um, and I'm going to be very blunt, that kind of just um, orgy kind of orgy kind of um, mentality of like, yeah, free for all, you know, whatever. And so um, that's what that means. And then this scripture ends by saying, and such the like of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they that do these things, I want you to hear this, okay? They that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? Do these things means habitually. Does that mean that an alcoholic is not going to inherit the kingdom of God? No. (laughs) That's not what it means. It means persons choosing and choosing and choosing to push God out of their life and push God out of their life and do what their flesh wants to do and do what the world says to do and do what feels good and do what pleases them and have it their way. And they don't want God. If, if you don't want God in your life, he will honor your decision in the afterlife. That does not mean that I read this list and you're going, shoot, I kind of struggle with with this area. Well, yeah, you do. You're human. There's something in every one of those things that, that, that we all struggle with. But God is saying, I want you as my child to be in that position of like, I, I want to do whatever it takes to have that abundant life that you died to give me. I love you. You are more important to me than this habit. You are more important to me than this earthly desire. You are more important to me. And does that mean that I'm going to mess up? Yeah, it does. And you're going to too. But also with God behind you. I mean, the word says if God's for you, who can be against you? I kind of like that. So I just realized with prayers and God for me, who can be against me? Even if I'm against me. And some days I'm my worst enemy. Have you ever been your worst enemy? (laughs) Never? Y'all are so holy. (laughs) My gosh, y'all are holy. So I want to make sure that, that we understand that when the Bible says that those who do those things, it's, it's do those things. That Greek word is in a habitual state of they've chosen those things. They've chosen not to follow God. It doesn't mean you don't slip. It doesn't mean you don't have an addiction. It doesn't mean you don't have a problem. As a matter of fact, statistically speaking, and I'm just going to be very brash there is um, a high percentage of men, including Christian men, that are addicted to pornography. It's a fact. But if we don't look at it as an individual, whoever we are, or if I don't look at my problem and know that God doesn't already know about it and go, God, I, I don't want this. I want abundant life. You know? That, that's what God wants is that honesty, that humility, and not that hiddenness. Because whatever that seed is that we hide and we hide and we hide, it'll manifest one day. And then I also want to say something, too, that I wasn't planning on saying is just about forgiveness. Do you realize that 
In the Bible, it says, I think it's five times, and I'll, I'll come back with the scriptures next time, but that when you ask God's forgiveness, that he forgives your sins and remembers them no more. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean God forgets. Because God is omniscient and, and, you know, sovereign and he is the creator and there's no way God forgets anything. It, it means he chooses not to remember. And so when you have asked for forgiveness for something, even if it was something today or yesterday, if it was big, if it was small, whatever it is, and you've asked, God, please forgive me in Jesus' name. You need to forget it too. We need to learn to forget it too. And what that means is not remember it. It's not like you forget it. I guess I'm using um, wrong semantics. It means that you don't recall it. You don't remember it. Anything that you want to remember, you just keep recalling to your mind. You keep repeating. You keep thinking about. You meditate upon. You tell other people You dream about, you write about. In the same way is with our sins, you know. When we ask for forgiveness, I want you to know even anything that God releases us because he has said, I choose not to remember. That is also a part of the cross. Not, well, you ask for forgiveness, but let me tell you what, you're in time out for the next seven and a half years. You will not be serving on any committees. Um, We will all make sure that we watch you very closely and you're not on the holy list, okay? You may make it on the holy list at some point if you, like, give up your life and, you know, move to the South Sudan and save a baby. But that is it. You know, we have these weird ideas. Jesus was a sacrifice. Do you understand how bad we need him? It's not just, I love Jesus. Okay, I'm a Christian. No, we desperately need this forgiveness. We desperately need to be cleansed. We desperately need to be able to start over. How often? As much as it takes. As much as it takes. So even if you're trying to forget something, like even if you're trying to forget a hurt that someone did to you, I'm going to tell you the best way to remember it. Repeat it. Repeat it. If your spouse hurts you, make sure you repeat it to some friends. Make sure you repeat it to yourself. Make sure you repeat it to them. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, because that's how you memorize it. Remember in school? Do you remember geography? I remember going, okay, now, these, I was so bad in geography. I had to make up poems about, like, where things were. But I'd repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat in short-term memory. Americans are, you know, we're great with short-term memory anyway. Um, it's kind of our school system. Like, right before lunch, you know, you have that right before fourth period, and you're like, la, 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 and you're repeating, repeating so that you can remember So anything you want to remember, repeat. Anything that you want to not remember, don't repeat. Don't say it again. Don't think about it anymore. And then just a word 
that this is all just, I mean, this is God. All, all of this is God. This can't be me. But um, there's no way for you to not think about anything. So if someone goes, okay, so don't think about that offense. You can't think about nothing. So God has a replacement. It's always a replacement theory in that, you know, when I am hurting and thinking and my brain's going off in the wrong direction and it's out of control and maybe I've fed my soul way too much this week and not my spirit or when someone's really hurt me or when I've disappointed myself and I've asked for forgiveness and I've, I'm, I know I'm right with God, but I just need to be right with me. I can't just not think about it. And so I'll turn on Christian music, the kind that speaks to me. I will read a verse. I will write out a verse. You know, I will get on my knees and pray. I, I have even gone this drastic to where I couldn't forget something that was so hurtful and painful to me that I got dressed, went to the grocery store, and said, God, give me someone to help. I'm serious. And this woman came up to me like three minutes later and said, you know, I know this is really odd, but I really need you to pray with me. My brother just died, and I, I won't give you all the details, but I was doing that to just get that junk out of my mind. Do whatever it takes, and God will be for you. He will be with you. It is absolutely incredible the things that he does and that he plans. And the exciting part of living with the Holy Spirit and forgiving others, but also forgiving yourself. If you can't forgive yourself, you can't forgive other people very well either. You may think you can, but you can't. We need to have so much mercy towards others and then also be able to receive the mercy of God for ourselves so that we glow with God's love and forgiveness so that our heads are not hanging low with accusation and condemnation. How often have I had people say, I just need you to pray for this person and let me tell you all the things that you need to pray about and and I'll say, wait a minute, um, you're a believer. I mean, I'll pray, but you're a believer. You can pray too. Oh, no, no, no. See, you have a direct line to heaven, and I don't. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, see, I've done things you haven't done. How do you know? And not only that, are you forgiven? Because why are you remembering them? And not only that, it doesn't matter how long it's been. It could be yesterday. God, there is no space and time with God. We're talking about God here who loves us so much. And unlike people, he doesn't put us in time out. Unlike people, he doesn't put us on um, probation. You know, have you ever been on friend probation? It's the worst feeling ever. Like, you maybe said something you didn't mean to, and then the friend's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. But every time you see that person, they're like, yeah, hi. So you're on friend probation. That's a horrible feeling. God never puts you on probation. You are never on child probation. You are his son. You are his daughter. He loves you. 
go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive. 